Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's a little rainy. Um, looking forward to, to hanging out on this podcast as opposed to looking outside at the very dreary weather. There you go. Well, well, we can provide a little sunshine for you and our listeners. How about that? Yeah, sunshine by solving problems. <laughs> if we're going to start in the world of smart speakers is what these are called. I'm not, I don't quite love that name. Uh, to, I don't have, a, I don't have a better suggestion, mind you. I just don't like the name. Uh, but these products that, you know, play music and they have voice assistants in them, which we're not going to name because then people get mad and when their echoes do stuff, but you know, kind of the combination of music playing and smart home stuff and, and all of that. Uh, so Alan wrote in asking, if Apple would ever make an Echo type device. So I think it's important to kind of start with the Echo itself. Uh, the Amazon product has been out a couple of years now. We've had one in our kitchen for a long time. And it's a smart speaker that you can stream music. Uh, a very common use in our case is my wife at the end of the evening, kind of after the kids will go to bed, will ask the Echo to read her the news. And so it kind of reads an NPR, you know, five minute news thing. Control smart home devices. So I have all of our light, smart light bulbs hooked up to this thing there's a whole bunch of stuff amazon has a whole range of products the echo dot is like 30 bucks or 40 bucks sort of the mainstream echo is now 99 dollars. they just announced a new one that's coming out uh towards the end of the month i've got one on pre-order so that's kind of what we're what we're talking about you know sort of cylinders with voice assistants and music inside of them that you can control with your voice you don't need an app or anything to to make it work yeah, they're they're pretty uh pretty magical in some ways and ridiculous in others. Uh, I definitely I have a couple of these devices made by Amazon whose names I won't say because those can also be trigger words. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple of them in my home and I quite like them. But Alan, like you, I was I was kind of hoping. All right, well, if Apple can get on board this train, I would be very appreciative because I. Obviously, I use Siri on my devices, uh, especially on the Apple Watch, and I constantly. So being able to potentially have access to that in the home would be really cool if my devices are not nearby. Uh, and in June, Apple kind of teased the, the little first bit of it with, uh, with the HomePod, which is kind of a cross between an intelligent Sonos, uh, Sonos speaker and an, and an Amazon uh, smart speaker. It will stream Apple Music directly, um, and it's all co controlled by voice. Uh, and it also, of course, uh, works in, you know, can be hooked up via AirPlay 2, um, Apple's sort of next generation AirPlay standard uh, to your phone. So even though it doesn't mm -hmm. have, say, Spotify built in, you can still play spot something from Spotify on your phone and play it through there. I think it's... It's interesting, you know, all these companies have their own voice assistants. So, of course, Apple has Siri, and that means that the HomePod can do some things like the Echo. So, it, it, you know, as far as we know, Apple's been very quiet about this. It can interact with HomeKit devices. That's on Apple's website. So, you, you can, you know, tell your lights or your door locks, whatever, to do things. And it will have sort of the basic Siri functionality that we've become accustomed to. So, setting timers, which honestly, if you looked at the list of things that we ask our Echo to do... Like timers are way up there because it's it's in the kitchen, right? And you're you're cooking. It's like, hey, set a timer for this. You know, you can set multiple timers, which is really awesome. It's so easy. I use that yeah. feature no, like nonstop, constantly. I used it when I was cooking lunch like half an hour ago. <laughs> um, but 
And, and and unlike the Echo, if you are already in the Apple ecosystem, it will assumedly be able to interact with your calendar and reminders. That part Apple hasn't talked about a whole lot, but it's the same with the with the we haven't mentioned the Google products yet, but the Google Home and again, it's a range of products now have access to your Google stuff. So if you're deep in that ecosystem, you can deal with your calendar and stuff uh, there as well. So it's a little bit different. The Echo doesn't have access to all the stuff the HomePod will, uh, but the HomePod may not have as robust as a, of a voice system as Amazon does. It's kind of a trade-off there. Yeah, um, I think what you said, Stephen, is a really good point in that Apple really hasn't focused a whole ton on what else the HomePod can do outside of music. Uh, and that is in part because the the speaker is really being sold first and foremost as a music speaker. I mean, it's $349 in the U.S., uh, so it's not, you know, it's a decent chunk of change. It's a, yeah. it's somewhere between, I think, the Play 1 and the Play, or the Play 3 and the Play 5. Is that right? In, in so, Sonos' Yeah, lineup? I think. And that's kind of and that's kind of what Apple pitched it against at WWDC. I think they had a picture of the Sonos Three like <laughs> on stage, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're going to do this better." Uh, but it's interesting that you bring up the calendar reminder stuff too, because I mean, as we've kind of seen with Google Home, there have been some major issues with that uh, with multiple users in the house, because obviously, you know, you don't want to hook all of your calendars up to your public right. assistant when you right. have your kids in the house. You don't want your reminders list changed. So I'm going to be really curious uh, once we hear more about that from Apple, how they're going to handle all of that and all of that personal mm-hmm. information that, you know, Apple is a company that is really committed to keeping your personal data safe and private to you. And that includes, um, you know, safe from your other family members, as well as, you know, potential hackers in the great beyond. Uh, so I'm like, that's that's kind of my biggest interest on this front. Um, and it's also worth noting that uh, that Sonos, of course, came out last week and said, hey, um, all of our speakers are going to get AirPlay 2 support next year. Um, and now they're all hooked up with Amazon's smart speaker products. So if you want to, uh, if you have a Sonos system already, who needs a HomePod? Because now you can just control it either with your phone or with, you know. And that that product has caused a lot of angst in my nerd life. So I wrote a blog post over the weekend. I'll have it in the show notes where I, like I said, we have an echo. We actually have several. We have the main echo and then we have some dots. I've got one here on my desk. We've got one in, in the bedroom and, and I think one up front somewhere. And it's just sort of ever present in our house. But my wife and I use Apple music, but we pay for a Spotify account for the echoes because <laughs> there's no Apple music to you know, Amazon ecosystem bridge or any, anything and using, you can use Bluetooth with these products, but it kind of defeats the purpose of shouting into the air to let it, you know, play your favorite album, play classic rock. This might yeah. Be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we are, we're paying for both and Amazon does have a, like a $4 a month echo only sort of unlimited music streaming thing. And so I'm trying that right now, but I kind of feel like I'm on the hook for paying for two Music services and look, I get it. That's not a lot of money. I paid a hundred bucks for this device. I've got several others. You know, I've got smart light bulbs everywhere. Like I've got some money invested in this, but something about paying for two music streaming services really—it's it, not about the money. It's about—it's like the principle of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so Sonos could be sitting in the middle here, where they have all the Echo stuff. They have said, or they have said that the voice assistant cannot control Apple Music, and there's no date on when that if or when that will happen. But with AirPlay 2, you could talk to Siri 
and let Siri route that audio to this owner. So it's a very confusing time. And Apple is <laughs> entering this ecosystem, back to Alan's question we started with, Apple's entering this ecosystem, but they're doing it at the, at the very, very high end. 349 bucks is a lot more than 99 And it is a more... I have no doubt it will sound as good as the Sonos. It's going to sound way better than Amazon's products. Amazon's products don't sound very good. But that only really works if you're like deeply in the Apple ecosystem. If, you, if you're a Spotify user and there's millions of them, then the HomePod may not be for you and you may look at something else. So if you're looking at one of these products, it's really kind of start with the services you already use and like, and then kind of pick, I think, the smart speaker kind of based on that a little bit. But Apple is entering the, the ecosystem with the HomePod. Uh, I would say they're not jumping in with both feet, I think because the series is going to be a little more limited than the than the Echo uh, or the Google Home product, because those platforms, like, developers can write apps for, and Siri on the HomePod is going to be limited to just Apple stuff, at least at the beginning. So it's a trade-off there. Uh, so it's a very exciting part of te- consumer tech. I'm really interested in all this stuff because I think it's the future and like being able to, to talk to your house and make it do things. <laughs> it feels great. Like you walk in the door and it's like, hey, change my thermostat to this and put on some music. Like, it really is nice, but it's very messy and it is very, the waters are very muddy and Apple is going to stroll into this at the end of the year. And I'm very curious to see how they do it and how well the HomePod does in the market. Yeah, I agree, Stephen. It's going to be a, the next, I'd say, 12 to 18 months are going to be a really interesting landscape for these products and where they evolve and how they evolve. Because I, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's a, it's a messy landscape right now. And hopefully, honestly, all this competition can only, you know, only be good for the end user. It's going to be really messy for about, you know, as I said, 18 months. And after that, hopefully we'll have more of a unified picture of our homes other than that or i'm just so. gonna have five echoes and <laughs> three home pods yeah so you have some amazon products now are you looking at a home pod is that interest to you like I, I don't have much of an interest in it to be honest i have an interest in it only from the perspective that i it's an it's a new apple toy and i want to see how sure. it works sure. um and like you i'm currently paying for two music subscription services and that i'm not super thrilled about mm-hmm. um Honestly, if AirPlay 2 on Sonos was coming a little bit earlier, I think I would probably hold off because I do have a couple of Sonos products in my home and I do I love those speakers. Uh, they sound really good. They do, but their one sort of their one major flaw is that you have to control them in the Sonos app or if you have to control them with your TV remote and neither of those are very, you know, <laughs> very easy to do uh, and then on top of that, you know, there's no Sonos doesn't really have a good uh, a good app for the watch. So you have to go through third parties for that. Um, so yeah, in terms of controlling Sonos, Sonos is my preferred speaker by a long shot, but you can't really control it. Uh, whereas Amazon is super easy, but it doesn't have the music that I really want to listen to. And Apple's, yeah. So that's that's kind of my thinking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning towards a HomePod mostly because I'm hoping it will solve some of my issues. Yeah, round and round we go, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah, I agree with you. I think it'll settle down, but not until the HomePod is here and all the Sonos features are here. And then, you know, so I think <clears throat> I think if you want one of these today, I think the Amazon way is probably the safest way to go. If you want to go out and buy something like this month. But if you're kind of on the fence, I, I would wait and see how the Sonos stuff plays out and how the HomePod lands and, and maybe go from there. If you're not in a big hurry, I'd give it maybe a little bit of time. 
So if you want to be like Alan and ask a question of us, you can do so on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskQuery, and we have a little robot that goes out and collects those in his basket, and then we go through the basket and look at them. That's basically how that works. Uh, so any questions about tech, and uh, we'll see them and uh, answer them here on the show. All right. So um, so let's dive into our second question, Stephen. Um, I am going to butcher this person's name, and I yeah. apologize in advance. <laughs> um, I think it's Gadni, um, and I'm so sorry, again, if I've butchered that. Please tell me how to pronounce it if you're on Twitter. Uh, they write, I've recently discovered the awesomeness of iStat menus, which it is pretty awesome. What other third-party Mac goodies am I missing out on? So I like questions like this. Any platform that has been around a long time, there's always like goodies out there that can make it make it better. Uh, so iStat Menus is awesome. It's written by some friends of ours, and it is a a menu bar app. sits up in the menu bar, the top right corner of your Mac screen, and it gives you all sorts of little reports on what your computer is doing. So you can see CPU load, RAM usage, how fast the fans are going. I think the, the new update includes a little weather widget, which I love. Um, stuff that you can get elsewhere. You can get that in Activity Monitor or the Terminal, but iStat Menus kind of makes it really pretty and makes it easily accessible. Um, I think some of the best like third-party Mac goodies are like that. These little absolute utilities that that just make something a little bit nicer. Um, my my first one, the one that immediately came to mind, is called Bartender, and it came to mind because of iStat Minis. <laughs> you know, if you put a bunch of stuff up in your menu bar, it can look sort of crowded. You know, and on my iMac, I'm sitting in front of I've got one, two, three, four, seven or eight third-party things up there, and it's kind of junky. Now I've got a big 27-inch iMac, so it's not a big deal. But on my MacBook Pro, I have a, a similar number of these things. And, you know, it's a lot smaller screen and it gets sort of tighter and messier. And so what Bartender does is it puts all of those behind a single icon. So you can just click on the Bartender icon and a little second baby menu bar drops <laughs> down. And then you do what you need to do. And as it has a billion settings. You can go in and say... You know, I want all these hidden except Dropbox. Or if one needs my attention, it can come out of Bartender and go, like, lots of options. And uh, it's pretty sweet. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes to it. That It is uh, there's a free four-week trial, which is pretty cool. It supports High Sierra. And I think to purchase it is, like, 15 bucks. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cheap. If you look for something like this, I think it does a really good job. I haven't had any weirdness with it. Like it's not crashy or make my, you know, computer, you know, unstable or anything. It, it does a good job with that as well. So bartender is, I think my first pick. Bartender is great. I haven't used it in a little bit, but, uh, I, I used to use it on my iMac and I, I love it. Um, my second pick on this on this note, originally I put a Fantastic L down uh, because it's not really a utility, but it does live in your utility, you know, in the upright sort of utility bar of your menu bar. And I feel like that's where I use it 90%, 99% of the time. And I just, yeah, I want to give a shout out to that calendaring app because it really is, it's the best way to use calendars on, on macOS. Um, but the, the thing that I actually wanted to talk about in terms of utilities is actually Daisy Disk. Uh, which kind of did what um, when uh, when Sierra and High Sierra kind of introduced the whole idea of having, uh, you know, optimizing your storage. Uh, right. I feel like Daisy Disk was doing this years before and still honestly does it better in some ways than Apple's solution. Uh, what I really like about Daisy Disk is it scans your hard drive and then it shows you basically in this beautiful, like almost neon graph 
what parts of your hard drive are being taken up by what folders so you can really quickly see at a glance, oh, hey, 40 gigabytes of my hard drive is being eaten up by uh, this one obscure file in Final Cut <laughs> that I need to get rid of because I haven't opened it in two years. Um, or, oh, hey, uh, back when I was backing up my, uh, my iPhone to iTunes, remember those days? I have uh, 60 gigabytes of backups just sitting in an <laughs> obscure folder in, in support applications. So you can, you, you can find that, but you can also uh, delete it right from the app. And it does give you a fair amount of warning just being like, yo, if you press the delete button, this file will go away. Please yeah. do not do this under something that, you know, you might break your computer with. Uh, but I feel like overall the app is very good about kind of warning you and giving you barometers of like where where you're looking in your hard drive and what files are safe to throw away and what aren't. Yeah, it, it is a, a great utility. Again, there's other ways to do this, but Daisy just makes it really easy. And you're right. It is my, actually mine is scanning my iMac SSD right now because I want to see it. it. does a really beautiful job visualizing it so you can kind of quickly grok where things are and drill down into them. And it's been around a long time. It is, um, except version four, right, you know, right now it supports high Sierra supports APFS, like all this stuff. It is, um, it's really great. So it's, it's one that if you, you know, if you're on a MacBook pro with a smaller SSD, you're kind of always running out of space. This can be a good utility to have handy. I think, I think my next one is Alfred. So Alfred is a, an app in the 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 lineage of apps like Quicksilver or LaunchBar, where it is a replacement for Spotlight that can do a ton more. So you can I have mine mapped to Command Space like Spotlight, and it does regular searchy things. So I can you know I can search and I can find you know every PDF with the word relay in it very easily. Um, or if I you know need Serenity, if I need your phone number, I can find you and it pulls up your contact information. Or what's really cool. And the reason I use it is if you upgrade to sort of the pro version, you can have workflows set up. So I can go in and I have uh, some workflows, for instance, to search certain websites. So if I want to search just my website or or just iMore or just, you know, the Apple knowledge base, I have different keywords I can type. So I can type, you know, KB space and it will search the K base for whatever word I type next. Um, this a lot of the stuff you again you can do other ways, but it is really fast if you're very keyboard oriented like I am. Um, I've got some for searching Giphy. I've got a couple for searching my pinboard archives. You can set up to like add new tasks to OmniFocus or uh, I mean all sorts of stuff. It's really powerful. You, you can set it up to run like shell scripts or. Uh, command line like at the command line and do do stuff in terminal so i've got one i think in mavericks or something i had a lot of trouble with um needing to restart my dock very pretty often and so i just have a shortcut in alfred to do that for me now um so if you if you already use spotlight a lot and you like that sort of modal search um this adds a layer of like productivity and like power user stuff on top of it um it's free to use Again, you can upgrade for the um, for the the pro account, but j- just to give you an idea, I I'm looking at my stats. Like Text Expander has stats in here, so since March 2013, uh, I've used it 44,000 times, an average of 26.8 <laughs> times per day. So kind of like it's one of those things. Uh, maybe you have tools like this where without this installed, my a Mac feels broken. 
to me because I go to like do something and um, like, okay, I, I control iTunes to this. I can very quickly search for an album I want to listen to. Like without this, it's like, what's happening? The computer's broken. I don't know where anything is. Uh, so Alfred is, uh, is one of my like very first things I install when I set up a new computer and it's, uh, it's really great. Yeah. Alfred is excellent. And I used to use it pretty much every day, um, before the new spotlight features in high or in, uh, I think it was El Cap came yeah, out. That or kind so, of made somewhere it, in there. Yeah. That made it a little bit more, uh, made spotlight a little bit more like Alfred. Um, but like you said, it does have a lot of those advanced power features uh, that you really can't do on a Mac uh, unless you have an extra utility. And if I use them more, I think that I would totally still be using Alfred. It's a it's a great app. Um, my last pick is an app I actually only heard about fairly recently, and um, I started using it on the Mac and then immediately wished that I had it for iOS. It's called Yoink, um, and it's essentially just a little tiny box that lives on the side of the screen um, that appears and disappears at, at will. And you just, uh, when you're dragging and dropping files, if you're trying to move from the desktop to multiple different applications, or if you just want to hold something so that you'll have it ready for later, you could essentially just toss a file into this little box. And it just hangs out there, basically like an alias, ready to copy over to wherever you're moving it. So if I'm say say I'm working on you know, an article, uh, and I'm taking different shots of it, like a different photos for the, for the article. And maybe I have two photos that I really like. Um, and instead of having to copy those two photos, you know, from the desktop and then send them to Renee and be like, what do you think? And then take them from there and upload them to the CMS and then upload them to Twitter. I can literally just keep it in the little yoink box and then, you know, throw them to Renee and they stay in the yoink box. And then, once Renee gives me the thumbs up, then I can upload from there and I don't have to go back to my original destination every single time. I had heard of this, but I didn't really know what it did. This looks really interesting. Yeah, I um, once I, st- I, I was skeptical. And then once I started using it, I'm like, this is great. And uh, now, as I said, now I wish I had it for the iPad Pro because it would be the perfect slide over app. Yeah, I'm using an app on on the ipad called gladys mm, um and like it is GLaDOS a or like gladys uh, <laughs> like your great like your great aunt gladys <laughs> <laughs> um and it is very similar to this so you, it, it run full screen but you, you can have it in slide over or whatever and it kind of works as like a like a kind of a multi-file clipboard like this so it uses ios drag and drop there's a bunch of these i've been on the test flight for like three but gladys is the one i'm using day to day and it, it seems very similar. And it's great on the iPad because you can like stash stuff in there from files and come back to it later and you know it's there. Uh, it's pretty cool. But this looks really cool. I'm going to check this out. Do it up. All right. So I think, uh, I think we're going to move into the speed run. All right. I'm ready, locked, and loaded. All right. We're going to start uh, with a question from Merlin. Merlin writes, My Series 3 Apple Watch with LTE rings with phone calls that don't show up on my iPhone, how can I stop getting calls on my new number sync line? That is a great question. And unfortunately, I wish I had better news for you, Merlin. Uh, So I did some digging around uh, and looked on the AT&T website and contacted their little support buddies. Um, But it sounds to me like number sync isn't functioning properly. Normally, the way that number sync works with AT&T is when you set the watch up with the phone, um, it asks you to fill out some information, and then it basically says, okay, your phone number, you know, blah, 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 555, 5555, 
um, is now going to be synced up with your iPhone's phone number, 555-5551. Um, and anytime you get a call on the 5551 number, it will automatically route to your Apple Watch. What sounds like it's happening here is that um, calls, Merlin did not tell us whether calls were going through to his Apple Watch from his iPhone's number. However, not calls uh, from his original Apple Watch number are definitely coming through, which is which is not great because uh, no one really has that number um, and shouldn't have that number. So, um, so the easiest thing, and I hate to say easiest because it's really not that easy, but the the thing that you're gonna have to probably do is talk to AT and T, and that means likely getting them on the phone or talking through their. Uh, their little automated support ticketer on their website uh, to get them to resync number, uh, reset and resync number sync on your device and see if that works. Um, the other thing is, I know, um, and I ran into this actually with uh, with one of the Apple Watches I set up. The numbers that your Apple Watches get are numbers that used to belong to other cell phones. This is kind of how cell service works. You know, if you don't keep your cell phone when you transfer your your cellular service to a different carrier, if you choose to like pick up a new cell, phone, cell number, um, there's a chance that you know someone might get your old cell number um, and might be a completely different person. Um, and what I discovered when setting up one of the Apple Watches is that there's a, there's a number um, that originally belonged to like a Samsung phone from 2003. <laughs> and that's what it shows in the AT&T portal when it's like, your device is ready for an upgrade. Oh, wow. And it just shows me this like sad little Samsung phone. <laughs> All right, uh, Steven, I've got a speedrun question for you. Uh, All right. Vitaly asks, with the spread of Bluetooth devices, are we going to start running into interference issues like crowded areas that we see with 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi? So I, I had never come across this sort of thing until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mike Hurley on our podcast Connected mentioned this. He spent some time in New York City and in the crowded sidewalks and in Times Square, his AirPods would cut in and out a bunch. He never really seen it before until he was in these really crowded areas. Um and on Connected, we talked about this, and we got a bunch of email from listeners saying, I totally get the same thing when I'm, you know, on the subway or I'm in a really crowded public space. So it's different, I think, in the from what happens with Wi-Fi, but I think the outcome is similar where there's just a lot of interference, a lot of devices trying to connect on very limited bandwidth where you're gonna you're going to run into uh, some issues like this I don't know what there is to do to fix it I would imagine that this is something Apple could try to address with its like custom chip stuff but at the same time like physics or physics and you only have so uh, so much bandwidth and and you know you're locked into certain frequencies for this thing so uh, I think it definitely can be an issue, but like I've never come across it. Even, you know, like WBC is like the crowd, most crowded place I ever am. And even there, when everyone is using Bluetooth, I, I didn't see it, but it does seem like it is possible to, to run into issues. I experienced this too in New York City, and it is kind of frustrating, but hopefully there'll be a software fix that, that you know, at least makes this easier. Uh, but it's definitely something we've got to start thinking about. You know, the wireless networks are, are not unlimited. They don't work like magic right. berries. <laughs> All right. So to round this uh, out, Steve wanted to know if we restore from backup or start clean when we buy a new iOS device. Oh, God. iCloud backup always. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
I I don't think I've ever I don't think I've started clean in years. Uh, that I call backup works really well. <laughs> I do start clean on occasion, uh, but usually it's only if I'm testing a device. Uh, when I'm doing photo tests, I'll start clean because not having IFO, iCloud Photos Library synced helps me kind of keep all of my photos straight. Uh, although I do now use uh, a really awesome utility called Metafo, which lets me see metadata so I, I can know that this photo I'd taken was actually on an 8 plus and not on a 7 plus. Gotcha. Yeah, I could see that being uh, being problematic in your line of work. Just a little bit. Well, uh, thank you for listening to Query. You can find show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash 14. All the stuff we talked about, links to those apps and support documents, everything will be there. To submit questions, please tweet with the hashtag AskQuery, and we'll be sure to see it. In the meantime, you can follow Serenity at Setern, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. Until next week, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.